Hey, it's episode four of TV Junk, and this is Winning Time. Damn that television! What a bad picture! Don't get upset! Hello, thanks for checking out the pod. My name is Greg, and as always, before we get into the show, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TV Junk Podcast. And of course, you can send us your questions to TV Junk Podcast at gmail.com. On the show today, we've got Frank. Frank, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? Are you? Yeah, I'm doing fucking great. Why wouldn't I be? I watched this show all week. It was That's an amazing time. What ten hours of this garbage? <laughs> we got we've got Zach. Zach, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for having me back on the show. And uh, and we've got the Podmaster, Podfather himself, Sean. Sean, how are you? I am very good. Thanks for asking, Greg. Uh, yeah, so if uh, if you didn't already know, Frank didn't like this, so uh, that about wraps <laughs> up the show. And uh, no, uh, so, so we'll be uh, talking about winning time. But uh, before we get into that, a whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, full whoa. title here, Greg: Winning oh, Time: The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. That's right. It is. It is a very long title. Uh, wait till I give you the full title of the book that this show is oh, uh, nice. based on. It's even longer. Uh, but before we get into uh, talking about the show, a a trailer dropped um, for a new uh, Disney Plus series based on the Marvel Comics character of She-Hulk. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, is the name of the show. So, you know, we're going to be doing all the, uh, the, the Marvel Disney Plus shows on this uh, podcast as they come out. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to discuss this trailer because uh, it is making the internet talk. It's like the hottest thing in social media right now is this really? trailer. I mean, that's um, what it's designed to do. It's designed to make everyone online talk forever and well, help promote uh, Disney. You, you, it's all about the impressions, the right. trending uh, <laughs> stories, you know, what, whatever. What do people like? What don't they like? What should be edited out? What should be fixed up? What can Disney get from these fans? I have no idea what the the word on the street is for She-Hulk attorney at law. Mm-hmm. When I saw the title, I l- really liked the, the title attorney at law, like getting to a, a law show. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is not what I was expecting. I think I'm in. Then I saw the trailer and I'm out. <laughs> like it looks, <laughs> it looks bad. Like I can only assume the internet is going towards a, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog type of hysteria. Like we need to change the look of the special effects. Uh, I mean, the show could be fine. I just thought, you know, you're doing Hulk or anything related to the Hulk. Special effects are a big part. And the the special effects looked atrocious, which is understandable because it's a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like the, um, the CGI definitely looked uh, awful, but, and it's, it's kind of pretty big budget you know i mean when people were putting up images from like uh like some of the pirates of the caribbean movies from you know 15 years ago and the special effects were better uh than that you know it's like disney's not really you know um trying to save bucks on this i mean they're putting a lot of money into it and it this yeah the cgi looks awful i saw a bunch of images from uh remember that show reboot oh yeah classic that uh that there were a lot of comparisons to how that looked like it does look like a bad video game like uh 
there was a lot of the movement that uh, oh, that she talk. I was doing reminded me it. of what was that? I should, didn't even ask Dax about it. The animation it was noticeably bad. Yes, um, like there's there's moments where you know the the She-Hulk character is moving and it, and it looks like like uh, the menu screen of like uh, of a fight video game where the character just keeps doing like these movies back and forth as you're selecting the character and that's what it looked like it looked awful yeah. and i have i have no idea like like I mean, do you think they did it on purpose like just as you said to get people talking about it and they're still working on the cgi or did they just say you know yeah, what this maybe they said right. we'll cut the trailer with our like our sh- it's, it's an interesting strategy cut the trailer with a bad version of the special effects knowing we've already made them better and like get people to be pissed about it or whatever. And then, oh, we already know we can do better than this. So it's like you appease people, which is what everything is about now, appeasing people uh, with whatever decision you make. And maybe it was a bold and impressive strategy. The weirdest thing to me, I don't know if this is a result of, you know, just the Marvel universe and the look of the Hulk in those movies, but She-Hulk, I mean, it doesn't, seem like a case where you need a CG version of that character. Like it kind of no. looks like her. I feel like a, a Lou Ferrigno version of this character would be just as good. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's a weird choice because I don't know what that CG is adding to this character at all, other than some kind of continuation of look from previous Marvel movies. It just seems like overall like bad decisions. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, like, you can see with the uh, Bruce Banner Hulk, I mean, he's noticeably larger. And, I mean, She-Hulk is bigger in terms of muscle, but not... Mostly not taller, bi- though. Yeah, taller, but, like, not, not big enough that you couldn't just put a suit on her and make her the same size. But, I mean, definitely could have done it more practical effects. But, I mean, I, w- I was I was getting major princess fiona vibes while watching it like oh, it was I, just, I didn't but i see um, it now i see it it was just reminding me of like watching shrek and all i was thinking was i'd rather watch shrek <laughs> Man, shrek is really making the rounds these days it needs, needs a comeback <laughs> i mean i i agree that the cg didn't look great i you know people always say oh they'll finish it it'll look better which is possible and i assume the reason for making her cg is because there's going to be action involved like so you know you kind of need that but i don't know I, I think the thing that's weird is it's it's a tonally strange trailer and from what i understand the big divide and and the big debate kind of happening is over people who have read the comic and know the tone of the comic and who say this is exactly the comic and people who don't know that and are kind of like this doesn't quite feel like the mcu it's like goofier and and more cartoony and they don't it doesn't quite fit so i'm not sure if if I'm fine with the tone and I actually, I hope this is kind of a, a hybrid of a, a law show or a courtroom, let's say drama, maybe comedy night court, one of Greg's favorite shows. Uh, and that, that I'm into, I'm into the wackiness. I just thought the trailer, uh, you know, left a lot to be desired. I, I think for the most part, it is supposed to be like a, a half hour legal, like 
dramedy, kind of a, a mix of the two with, with her, like, you know, defending superheroes or, or supervillains or, or whatever the direction they want to go with that. Um, so I, I think the tone is great. And, and so I, I was super interested in, in the show when I'd heard about, um, how it was going to be presented, but, but yeah, like, uh, that special effects, it's really bad. I mean, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of like the tone of it too. I kind of just wish it was just like a law and order type thing of just investigations and going to court. And my, my the thing that least interests me is it tying into the MCU in some way. Like, um, I don't know what the relationship of her to Bruce Banner is, but I don't necessarily want to see her kind of interact with all the other superheroes. I kind of just want to see kind of a, a standalone series that's exploring kind of her being a lawyer or something while being, you know, having Hulk and trying to <laughs> have all this anger and aggression come out while being a lawyer. That's what I'm more interested in. Yeah. I, I think uh, that definitely would be um, the highlight of, of the show for me as well. I mean, we got a little bit of, uh, um, you know, uh, a break from the actual MCU with, with the Moon Knight show and it didn't really tie into anything else that we've seen before. So it was, it was a little bit refreshing in that sense. And yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see when the show comes out uh, later on in the summer, if it, uh, if it looks a little better than it does, and I'm sure there'll be more trailers and, more people complaining on social media. Got it. The, the what? What is that? The 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 site Dis, Discord is that? Is that what it is? I bet you that is going <laughs> crazy right now. There's got to be a lot of She-Hulk Discord going. I don't out think there. I've seen any. It was just one no? post. Just more Shrek talk. Like that's where Sean's bringing that from. Well, that's Shrek probably talk. what it's based on. Lots of Shrek stuff. All right, so on this episode, yeah, we're talking Winning Time, uh, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, uh, starring John C. Riley, Jason Clark, Jason Siegel, Quincy Isaiah, Sally Field, Gabby Hoffman, Adrian Brody, about 50 other people, um, directed by half a dozen people, including Adam McKay and Jonah Hill, uh, executive produced by Adam McKay, uh, written by Rodney Barnes and Max Borenstein, and based on the book Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. Written by Jeff Perlman. The book title, very long. The show title, very long. So the I'm assuming this has uh, already been renewed for a second season. It has. Um, okay, so... And I, it, I think it's worth mentioning, like, you are a Lakers fan. You love I am a Lakers the fan. Lakers. Uh, a big Lakers fan, and, you know... I, in the mid '80s was when I started uh, watching the team and cheering for them, so this is kind of leading up to when I first started my fandom. Uh, but this show on HBO Max focuses solely on the '79-'80 NBA season with the the purchase of the team by Dr. Jerry Buss and the drafting of Magic Johnson, and the beginning of the rivalry with the uh, well, not well, the beginning of the '80s rivalry with the the Celtics with uh, Bird and Magic. And a whole lot of other stuff happening in this 10-episode series. So, uh, Frank, we'll start with you. Uh, uh, what, what were your, your thoughts on Winning Time? Well, I'm generally not a fan of Adam McKay. So, <laughs> I, I was trying to get that out of my mind before I started watching it. But it's almost impossible to do. Because 
I, I guess I would say I don't hate the show. Uh, there's some things I like. Number one, the casting. Like I think the casting is really good, except for a few exceptions. And they are really close to those personalities. Most of the performers do an excellent job in the show. Uh, so I think like that works. And I think the structure works. Like I, in my head, I thought this was a single like miniseries, not a, a recurring show. Uh, but I think the idea of having it like based on each season of that dynasty could work. And I think that, like this being one season uh, and kind of following that season along is an interesting structure for a show. But I mean, with Adam McKay stuff, I don't know who's responsible for the overall aesthetic and style of the show. I assume it's mostly him. Uh, and he, like a lot of directors, they do the first episode and set a bit of a style guide for the show. Uh, I absolutely loathe his aesthetic in every way possible. The, um, like, aside from the gimmicks, we'll step aside from the gimmicks, but just succession and the big short, like the crash zooms and like, like just awkward framing of things to kind of create this, uh, anxiety with, within the frame, I guess. It is awful. I don't know who likes it. I don't know what purpose it serves. Uh, it's just obnoxious. It's kind of the way I talk about Steven Spielberg uh, switching to like this clearly defined style with uh, Janusz Kaminski around Saving Private Ryan. Like it feels like such a forced aesthetic. Like I need people to know this is an Adam McKay movie and I'm going to come up with these ideas for the sake of coming up with these ideas that really don't add much to the show. They distract. And unless you like it, it, it it's, it's awful. I loathe his aesthetic and this show compounds those ideas. It's got video, uh, and like film footage. And of course you got to put the, the, the bar on the side and all the grain. And it's just, it, I don't understand the purpose of it. it. I, I, maybe someone here has some ideas on how that helps the show or a feeling it evokes for me. It just seems like a gimmick and I absolutely hate it. And I think that really shines through. And I think episode eight, maybe nine, there's a montage in a game that is one of the most poorly edited things I've ever seen, especially in a sports movie or show. It is like, literally a millisecond of frames going back and forth. There is zero continuity. Uh, it is awful, the editing in that sequence. I wish I would have made a specific note. But generally, the aesthetic of the show, I truly dislike. Uh, the writing is hit and miss for me, but mostly miss. And I think getting down to Adam McKay, I know people were going to talk about how accurate it is. It is completely inaccurate. Uh, I don't think that's the biggest sin of the show, but with all Adam McKay stuff... Everything about the show is forced and it just breathes contempt and like judgment. That's all I get from Adam McKay stuff. It is so disconnected from the world. I just see a contempt for everyone in the world. And that goes back to Vice and the big short. And I don't know who he thinks he is. Like he thinks, does he think he's perfect? Like all it's like you could give, I think even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I read his article about the show. And he kind of said, like, it's boring ultimately, which I kind of agree with. But, and other people's criticisms of the show of characters not being that well-rounded or feeling like real people, I totally get that. But it, it definitely comes from a place 
typically for me of judgment. It's putting judgment on all these people and you weren't even there to judge them. Like it feels like a weird time to judge people. I don't know what the book's like, but I, I just see his stuff and it just gives me a gross feeling. Everything he does gives me a gross, gross feeling. Um, and the fact that I didn't mind the show to me is a testament to the performers and the idea. Like it's it's kind of watchable. I can get past the Adam McKay stuff. Uh I think it follows a lot of characters and they all have compelling arcs, most of which are kind of untrue or embellished to a great degree. But I understand, you know, you're making an entertaining show, uh, but overall was not a fan. I do not think I will watch season two. Zach, mm-hmm. hammer down. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Frank. Like, I mean, you kind of said a lot of what I would say too. I mean, personally, if I, if I didn't have to watch this, I wouldn't have watched it. Cause I, I watched episode one before you mentioned this and I couldn't, couldn't even get through it. I was just so <laughs> flustered with watching this show. I just like, I could like, it's funny you it, mention that. Cause I had the same experience. I watched the first episode. We talked about it briefly on film junk and I thought, man, like I can't, I can't handle a whole series of this, but I knew we were going to do TV junk. And I was like, okay, I'll keep watching it. And then I kind of got into it and I kind of thought the, the overall style worked, you know, over time, I kind of settled into the rhythms of it. Yeah. I had a bit bit of a similar experience where I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it at the start, but you know, some of the performances, and I think it does a good job of switching uh, focuses. So like an episode will be about Kareem, another episode. And then towards the end of the season, it shifts to the coaching drama and almost making Paul Westhead a bit of an underdog. But a lot of the reading I've done about his character's portrayal is also completely inaccurate. So, um, I mean, it's interesting in terms of structure, uh, but you know, like the Jerry Buss factor, I think John C. Riley is good and well cast as Jerry Buss, but that character has, is almost peripheral. They're kind of like the focal point of the show to start, but they don't really change. It's the characters around that character that seem to have the the writing done for them. Um, I mean, I mean, I kind of disagree. I mean, I don't really, I didn't really get any character development from anybody. The only, the only, the only person that I think that had any development was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and like his specific, his episode when it goes back yeah. and kind of just describe some of his journey and his kind of religious and political perspective. And I think that added a huge amount to it. And I, I would say, it, it, I think that's episode four or five in the series when you kind of go back into depth. And I would say like the first three episodes, like on one stylistically, it's so nauseating. You kind of become immune to it after a while because it's just like, you have to kind of like block it out because it's just so like in your face all the time that I, I kind of like, I, again, like I, I really did not get into it in, like maybe until the episode with Kareem, which I think is episode five. Is it five? Um, yeah. I, I, like, I, I just want to mention, there, I agree. And I think all the Kareem stuff, I think the most impactful moments again are surrounding him at the end of the series with the sure. Spencer Haywood stuff, the MV or the MVP trophy, uh, his injury, like he's the best part of the show and he's played by Solomon Hughes. And I think it's, like the best and it's subtle part of that is just sure. Kareem's 
like his persona in real life and emulating that. But that's, I think that character is like also a breath of fresh air in the way they talk compared to everyone else. And for sure. Well, I mean, I think it's also that he's the only one where you get any character depth where you see some sort of background, like even Jerry Buss, it's like, how did you get your money? Like where, like what's your backstory? We don't even find out that he has two sons until like episode nine. And then they appear. And I'm like, where is this coming from? We have like nothing about this guy other than that. He apparently likes to party. And I mean, the problem too is with magic Johnson too. He's so one note that it becomes he, his scenes I think are the worst because they're just so bland and boring that it's like, you're just watching a guy who's just generally happy and there's nothing else there. The only moments where you kind of see some, some sort of like actual character or anything personality towards magic is, is when he's kind of interacting with, Kareem kind of near the end and they're both talking about their kind of different racial experiences and it's it's only that kind of aspect to it but like everything else with him is just so kind of bland and like never goes anywhere it's just him partying him playing basketball even his relationship with Cookie and other women like and on top of that like the, there's a one scene where he has sex with a woman and they re, they reuse that scene at least four or five times and it's like how <laughs> how uninspired is this that you have to you reuse re-edit the same scene over and over again to highlight this and like it, it's just like it's so poorly edited it's so poorly told for me like there's just not enough like the the reason it's so boring i think is because there's just not enough material for 10 hours of material that like, I couldn't tell you anything about magic Johnson from this. I can't tell you anything about his personality other than that. He plays basketball the- and he, he's, and he's a really happy go lucky guy. Like that's the entirety of his personality, but like there's something else there. I think that worth exploring that the show doesn't even really want to go anywhere with. Yeah, I, I get that. But I think the writing is also, uh, mostly extremely bad. And in the first episode, a couple of examples are the one party that magic goes to and the guy working the door says whites only. Oh yeah. Like, no, like, okay. The, the theme of the party is people have to wear white. I understand the, the show is really pushing a racism angle, but no one would say that. Like, that's not how you'd if you were hosting one of those parties or allowing people to enter why would you say whites only you would say you need to be wearing white or something like that like it is such a weird like addition we already get those elements from the show it's very heavy-handed with that stuff so like to add another layer like it just i don't know it just felt really lazy to me and then in that same episode at the very end they like you know, have Magic Johnson get lost in the forum. So he goes on the court and, you know, like he's talking to himself uh, like, oh, Magic steals the ball, wins the game. But like he would never do that. He won a national championship. He tried to negotiate for the second highest salary in the NBA. This person is already confident. They would never be like hyping themselves up in like a, they've played on it in a in a uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the uh, they call me magic documentary series. He says he was super nervous going into this, his first season of the NBA. Well, you can be nervous or you could just say that in a documentary, but at least in the, in the perspective of the show, 
He is negotiating to be the second highest paid player on the team, possibly in the league. That's, that is a bit of confidence. If there's anything that this show portrays is Magic having confidence. I don't see any sense of this being a nervous person. So for him to, he won the national championship the year before in a stadium that was that big, filled with fans. These, these are not real fantasies for this person. They, this, he would be going to the next level, like wanting to win a cha- it's It's terribly written. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Frank and Zach just hate Adam McKay. I mean, they just are out to get this guy. But um, I don't don't mind Adam McKay. I think he's got some decent stuff. And actually, the show I kind of liked. I think, you know, I agree with some of the aesthetic complaints. But as I said, I kind of got into some of the stuff. And, and, you know, it's interesting the... It just occurred to me, you know, we're, we're talking about Tony Scott stuff on Film Junk recently the aesthetic of this show is very similar to late Tony Scott, where it's kind of like, you know, using all these different kind of mediums and like this sort of collage. Frank, you can allow this style. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that's, well, that's part of the problem with Adam McKay's style because it really kind of came out with, I think big, the big shore. Right. And even when it happened in there, it was like, this already feels stale like people have been doing this for decades and now you're copying it for this comedy, which I can see because it adds a level of like reality to it. But it was just like, I didn't mind it in the the big short. Like it felt like it fit that movie a bit, but I also hate in general, the breaking the fourth wall stuff. Like, yeah. Well, yeah that, so that I agree with you on, like, I, I think the mixed media aesthetic works for this. I think a lot of it is just kind of getting a feeling of nostalgia from some of these other you know, types of film and, and video and stuff. And in general, I think it mostly works. The breaking the fourth wall stuff, I don't think there was a great reason for it in this. And I, if anything, I kind of feel like John C. Riley was miscast a bit as Jerry Buss. Like I, oh, I, I, I disagree. I think he was a, like the perfect. I, I, I think s- he, I think he pushes things too far on the comedic side. And, um, and I just feel like whenever he's breaking the fourth wall, it's just kind of, I don't know. It, it doesn't add to the show personally. I, see, I, 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 find this, thing. I didn't think he was trying to be funny. I thought he was kind of subdued. I mean, like his char- character with like the comb over and like the shirts hanging open and all that kind of stuff. It feels a little more exaggerated because it's John C. Riley, And I think just, you know, maybe I'm putting a bit of it on because of who he is, but um, but so, yeah, I mean, that stuff I wasn't crazy about, but I actually, I mean, you guys did, haven't mentioned like sort of, I, I just think that the whole season, there's a lot of crazy things that happen to this team. And obviously it's, it's all kind of like smashed together in a way that makes it seem like it's like one thing after another. And I'm sure it was more stretched out in re- in reality, but you know, the whole coaching thing is a fascinating element of this season, which I liked quite a bit. And I, and I do really like the magic Kareem relationship. Um, I think that's a strong element of the show. And I think the writing is pretty good overall. Like I just, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what it takes to win and like, you know, um, kind of different perspectives on that. And I do agree the stuff about winning and, uh, like mental attitudes towards winning. I think that is the strongest writing of the show. The two examples, like, uh, Jerry West gives a speech about like hating losing and what winning is. I think he's good with that. And then I think the 
the Jerry Buss giving the uh, four minute mile kind of segment, like talking about like per mind and perception in terms of reality versus what's achievable. I, that was my favorite part of the whole show. Yeah. That so was I'm, your favorite part. Yeah, by far. <laughs> the, uh, the Roger Bannister thing. Yes. Wow. All right. <laughs> Greg, you got, you got to go as the, uh, LA. Yeah. I mean, like, like you, you maybe have some nostalgia, maybe not for this specific era, Greg, but obviously you have to have some attachment, I think because of the subject matter. Right. Yeah, like so when they, uh, I think they announced the show uh, a couple of years back. Uh, I think right when the Last Dance was starting to air on on Netflix, so I was like super excited because I think at first I thought it was like a documentary series about um, the eighties uh, Lakers, and then once I realized that uh, uh, it was actually a, a like a scripted show, um, and then. And then I, I started to get really fascinated by it again with the whole uh, uh, Will Ferrell thing with Adam McKay. Uh, do you guys know the story of that? Kind of, yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, this was like Will Ferrell's project originally. Like this is what he wanted to, to do and he wanted to play Dr. Buss. And, you know, Adam McKay, for whatever reason, didn't think that Will was right and ended up casting his best friend, uh, John C. Riley, without actually talking to him. And it kind of ended their whole friendship uh, over the whole thing. And uh, so then I was, you know, I was interested in watching the, the show. And so after the first episode, I kind of sat back and I thought, I fucking hate this. Um, <laughs> and all the stuff that, that Frank mentioned, like, uh, the, it's the Adam McKay stuff. And I, I had a, I, I said this on the last episode of a, uh, 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 TV junk when uh, I was kind of promoting that we were going to be doing the show and what I wanted was less Adam McKay and more NBA and and I thought that That's that would have made a better show it, like yeah. the 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 quick jumps between like the 8 millimeter film and uh, like the regular film like there wasn't even like a lot of the 8 millimeter stuff wasn't even like flashback stuff like it wasn't even like shots of uh, uh, like there was just a whole bunch of Dr. Bus with in the eight millimeter stuff. And it wasn't like he was like a younger man in it. So I, I just didn't understand the point of doing that. And like, there was a bit of animation in it. And yeah, like the, the talking to the camera, like super annoyed the hell out of me. There was one like egregious moment when, uh, when Dr. Bus finds out that his, his mother is going to die. And the doctor says that there's not much that they can really do about it. And he throws a fit in his office and he smashes like the camera, uh, yeah. like as if it was like a documentary. And I was like, get the fuck out of here with this garbage, this, this hack McKay. Um, <laughs> and this, yeah, I just, I, I didn't appreciate any of that stuff that uh, he brought to the table, all like uh, uh, his aesthetics that he likes to do. And, well, to be fair, like that, he didn't direct that episode, so I don't know how much influence he has on the show in terms of like saying what to do. But like, it, I'm assuming well, he, he, did, set, he did the first episode, style, right? But yeah, and and the different types of film is in the first episode. I think the animation is in yeah, the film yeah. ep first episode, and there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall in the first episode. So I think that was kind of 
uh, the theme of, of how the rest of the series was going to go. And that's, you know, based all around him, but like, it also felt, and Frank, you touched on it a bit as well, because Adam McKay and both Will Ferrell are, are huge Laker fans. And so this was a lot of the stuff that they watched when they were, when they were kids. And it, it felt that Adam McKay took a lot of it very personally. Like you could tell, um, the people in the organization at the time and now who he respected or respects and who he doesn't like, because like, he really was doing a lot of picking and choosing on who was getting portrayed well and who was getting portrayed very poorly. Well, um, can I ask you a quick follow-up question to that? Did you, have you read the book? Okay, he's got it, <laughs> got it right here in my hands. Okay. Now, th- is that a yes or a no, though? Yes. <laughs> okay. In, in general, right. did you think, like, in terms of character portrayals, that's how you remembered the book, talking about certain characters, or uh, not to the extent that they no. did in the show? Like, it's it's very uh, very fictionalized. Um, like, yes, like Jerry West had a hard time letting go. Uh, like, and yeah, he was, you know. Um, he was a guy that uh, was always you know, overseeing everything. Like, couldn't be away, right? Yeah, and, like, and he struggled with, um, you know, and I think that they actually made a point of saying this in the actual show, where like he, towards the end, he hated being there, but he couldn't not be there, and so like he did have that struggle. But like this show made him out like he was like fucking Yosemite Sam, like just this crazy, uh, loud uh, lunatic. Um, well, well, that's what's weird is like in the first episode, he almost comes off like such a, a prick that you almost assume he's kind of like a, a villain of sorts. And then he, they try to like slightly personalize him or kind of make you have some sympathy with him later when he kind of goes into some of his backstory with his family and stuff. But I was like, it, but like he, he, it's just like weird portrayals like this. Like I think the problem with Adam McKay is that everyone goes to these extremes all the time. It's constant. The way he ends any scene, it's like Saturday Night Live, I guess. Yeah. The only way to end a scene is just smash. Someone yells and smashes everything. And that's like every <laughs> single scene. It becomes like nauseating. But well, sorry, Greg. The, the, but the Jerry West thing, you know, I, I think it probably is a misrepresentation of him, but I thought Jason Clark was really good. And like, I actually find him funny in the show. Like I find anger funny. <laughs> like when people get really angry, uh, it's very comedic to me. And I think it's intended to be comedic in the show to some degree, like by the, by, especially by the end of the show where he's just tossing MF this, F this, like it's, it's a comical anger. So, I mean, I didn't mind it in terms of entertainment value, but I, I can't imagine anyone behaving like that. This is another thought I had with this show. I don't know what you guys think. I've worked in several workplaces in my life. Um, I don't know what it was like in the early eighties, but I've never encountered anyone like nearly as unlikable or like I couldn't work with them in the scenarios in this show. Like it's so rare in an office that, you know, there's someone who's just like truly awful and you like would backstab. Like I, I've never worked in a scenario like that. Can anyone relate to this at all? Like a workplace? Like which, person, which person are you, which character just are you the referring whole, to? Like everyone, like everyone's out to get each other. And I, I've just never been in a work it's environment. It's LA, like bro. This is LA. I don't know. It just seems so like, 
How would anyone work at these places? I just, I can't imagine it. I've never seen anything close to how work environments are portrayed in movies and TV. It's just, I think it's, you know, it's a high pressure environment. You got a lot of type A personalities. It it seems very feasible to me. I don't know. I see a lot of people who like look the other way. It's like, uh, okay, just avoid them to some degree. Like just try to get through the work day. Uh, But mostly people get along at work. People who don't like would do that would get fired. Unless you're the boss like me. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I just it's it's so it's so weird that you know there. I think in a work environment, people at least try to get along, and if they have criticisms, they don't like tell people to fuck off or you're an idiot. Uh, I I don't know. It could have been different in in the sports world. I could see it being different, but just a thought I had. Man, this was the '80s. Like everybody was doing blow. Like, <laughs> I guess. There was so much shit going on back then. Well, I mean, the other thing after Pam and Tommy with the show is just every show being nostalgia based on reality where you can have people who look like people and reference other things. And, you know, this show, anytime it has the opportunity to bolster that, it does it. Like the Paul Abdul thing, uh, which was true. Like, I'm fine with that. But um, Spencer Haywood and then his wife is Iman. And then it's like future Mrs. Bowie. What does that matter to any of this? It's just like, we want to tell you, connect this to everything <laughs> that's ever been popular. Like that has no relevance on this show at all. So, I, 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 and sorry, I know just, who Iman is already. I don't need this show to tell me. So just on that real quick, cause I knew this part of the conversation was going to come up cause it's been happening a lot. There's so many shows like this that are sort of like biopics, but they have like a slight comedic angle to them. And, and it's a lot of like, Oh, look who we got to play this yeah. famous person. But yeah. I think a lot of this, so I got two shows that I think have brought us to this point. And I think the first one is mad men, which was a lot of like going back you know, a few decades and saying, okay, look at how much has changed, but kind of having a little bit of a satirical edge to it. Some things have changed, some things haven't. And then I think the other one is uh, American Crime Story with the People versus OJ yes, Simpson. That is definitely I can see huge. I, I mean, I can kind of see the, the Mad Men in terms of here because it does have a bit of like, oh, this was the 80s and this is how things were back in this time period. And there's a bit of like th- that kind of aspect to the, the the film. And it's really kind of about this kind of end of an era, so to speak, of that kind of like old traditional basketball style players and then and like management and then this the new kind of group of like modern basketball players and management there is that aspect of it too. I definitely do agree that there's like American uh, crime story, like the OJ, the people versus OJ um, is definitely kind of part of this, but you know, I think, I think, I think that all of the ones after that have all had this kind of slightly campy vibe or this kind of slightly trash TV vibe that they're going. I mean, American crime story did a little bit. I think that was in there. It was very melodramatic and really kind of playing that up. But like everything since then is just like we want to be trash TV yes, it's and, and pre- we want to do pre- prestige TV, but tr- of a trash TV yeah. story. And it's just like it's so 
it's so cheap and so uninteresting because it's just like, how low can we go? And how, like, I kind of like the idea of, of doing a show about real events. And what I, the only thing I like about the movie that I thought was funny about this was how s- some people, they don't even try to make them look like them at all. They just, it, it, they look like kind of a, a made for TV version of somebody where they look nothing like the characters. They have on these really terrible wigs. They look really like garbage versions of, of themselves. Like I'm thinking of like Phil Knight, for example, when he shows up, it, like it looks nothing like the guy. It just has this terrible wig on. Like, I like that idea, but it's like, it doesn't want to be like that trashy. It wants to be somewhere in between. It wants to like hit every kind of index of being like prestige TV and having real drama and real issues. But then it wants to be like, oh, we're just going to have like nonstop sex scenes and, and basketball and, you know, it, it's just kind of like a mix of everything. But the, the, I think the part with like the, I think you're spot on and it's, it's not just trash, it's tabloid. It's yeah. like the TMZification of all media. And it's an excuse to bring up stories or gossip about people that might've been true or not get people talking about it in like trashy ways. Did this actually happen? Is that like, you can picture, I Googled some stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I Googled the, the, uh, the the schedule and the results of games to see if that was accurate, which it is not at all. Uh, except I know. For the, except well, for I have to tell you, I, I watched the one game with the against the Celtics at one point too, and I was like, this has nothing to do with what actually happened in the show. Like, well, okay, the the time when I googled it is uh, the road trip at Christmas in the show. Yes, that's what. I, that road trip did not happen at Christmas at all. It happened January 5th to 11th, I think. Uh, they they beat Detroit. In the show, they lose to Detroit. They beat Detroit. Uh, they, they beat Boston for sure. I can't remember what the result is in the show. But it is a completely accurate miss or inaccurate representation of what happened on that road trip. They phrase it with like, Oh, it's your first road trip magic. Well, he's, he's gone to road games before. Like, okay, this time was, there was five in a row. Sure. Like what's the difference between going on two and five? Not that big of a deal either way. Like they, and they use it to say they can go for Christmas dinner at his parents. Christmas was long gone. Christmas was two weeks over by the time this happened. It's all like just framing writing devices that are completely inaccurate. Also, the drama that builds there with the coaches that, oh, if we don't, we're on a losing streak. If we don't win this one, we're done. I think the Lakers were 30 and 15 or 30 and 12 when they started that, that road trip. There was no jeopardy at all of any of that stuff. Yeah, but the when I was watching the TV show, it, it kind of talked, it it uh, dealt with the kind of Boston series game a lot, like and and really played that up about how the refing was really terrible, and so I kind of looked on YouTube afterwards to see if I could find clips, and I found like the whole game is on YouTube, so yeah. I, I I watched the shortened version of the game, but I was like, this has not like the ending of the game was not similar at all, and um, well, looking at Sterling old- Sterling Hayward, who like in the show. Spencer he, he's bet he's yeah Spencer uh he's benched until like the last quarter no he plays the whole game and he's like he, he's like <laughs> yeah. one of the highest scores I mean, all the stuff on the, that, in the game <laughs> aside from caricatures of people the way they were behind the scenes like Paul Westhead is not like this useless coach that you know didn't know what he was doing the whole time he all this the speeches and stuff like in the last 
uh, the six, you were the 63 and three rookie of the year vote and stuff like that. Like that, that was, wasn't said first of all, but it was Paul Westhead who motivated magic in that moment. Uh, and like was pretty good. Like I can't, I can't see him being this incompetent the way the show portrays him. I think there's a fake it till you make it aspect to everyone doing a new job, but this is so exaggerated. And I mean, it clearly is a conscious choice to exaggerate everything in the show for entertainment value. Like I just, I I don't see And I'd be fine with that if it was actually funny or entertaining. It's not really. I mean, like, I'm okay with them having, you know, taking artistic license with whatever story. I don't care how they represent it. But I do agree. Like, it has to be entertaining. But then also, it's like, well, what's the point of telling the story? Because it seems like every fact that I look up, I, like, not sure if it's true or not. Or every single event, I was like, did this actually happen? Like, is this, like, you know, even, like, the the stuff with, I remember, like, I remember it happened early when magic has uh, is seeing one girl like Cindy day and then she works with yeah um his, his he, he dumps her and then works with her father and i was like okay this is interesting i didn't know about this and then i look it up and it's not true at all <laughs> like like it makes it seem like this he continued to work with he was really kind of terrible and worked with this girl's father as his kind of agent of sorts and it was just like, no, none of that, like none of those two, neither of those two characters are real. And I was like, like, what is the point of telling this story if there's not some sort of like basis yeah. in reality? Like, I understand amalgamating characters, but not like creating entirely new plot lines that have nothing to do with reality. Like normally they kind of like amalgamate like two characters into one or something like this in order to simplify it. But like. I don't, I don't know. It's just like, I just don't get what the point of the telling the story is. Yeah. Like there was, there was so much, uh, like in, in reality of, of what happened during that 79, 80 season that they could have easily told this story in, in these 10 episodes. Like there really was no reason to create, uh, so much, uh, extra stuff that didn't happen and to, you know, em- embellish, uh, some of the results and, and, and like, Having them lose to Detroit, you know, made no sense. It didn't really push the storyline at all. I mean, like this, the the team went sixty and twenty two that season. And as Frank said, there was no way that those coaches were going to get fired and get replaced by Elgin Baylor or or any of that other nonsense. It, like it felt like they they needed to, uh, you know, make Paul Westhead's character this this pushover just so they could have him piss blood or have uh uh or have uh, pat riley push him into the shower so we could get uh, oh that's how pat riley started slicking his hair back like <laughs> nonsense and and this this weird shit that they just did in the show and i, I just i don't understand why they did so much of it like the 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 one thing that i i like the the piece that i didn't that i knew the least about um was all the stuff with uh uh Jack, uh, what's his name? McKinney. Uh, Jack McKinney, and then the and the coach, and and um, and how he stopped being coach uh, of the Lakers. Like, um, I, there, it's in the book, uh, but again, it's just a, one of the pieces of the show that I was least familiar about, and that I was kind of excited to see them uh, explore that. Um, and then 
And then they did that. I, I don't know whose decision it was, but then, because I knew he was in a bike accident. And then they did the weird fake out with the car. Yeah, in that one, in the the one scene where, like, they're they're amping it up that he's gonna get smoked by this car, and then they do like this fake out, and then like his brakes fail, and then he like tumbles over and and gets the head injury. Um, but yeah, like, I I didn't understand the the point of doing that again. I guess it's just to create drama of the show, uh, but it just it it just adds more. Okay. Uh, but, but you're a Lakers fan, right? And right. you didn't really know what happened to him. I didn't know what happened to him. So, I mean, I just knew that he gets replaced at some point. So the way the episode's building up, I assume, okay, something must happen to him that I didn't even know about. And I agree. It's weird to have the car be a fake out thing. Like it, it, it is a weird. Yeah. I mean, I assumed that was injuries. for people who knew what happened and I didn't know what happened. So, but I mean, if you guys didn't know, then but who, if you know what happens, <laughs> you would know that he didn't get hit by a car. <laughs> yeah. Like it was very strange. And then, uh, um, like the, the, in reality, the, the coach was, he was dismissed long, like halfway through the season. Like uh, oh, early really? on, they decided that. really early on that he wasn't coming back and they were going to go with Paul Westhead and all that. So like, None of that drama of him coming back for the playoffs. None of that was real. Again, it was all made up for the show. But, I mean, you still had, like, your head coach, like, you know, suffer massive brain trauma. Like, that's that's a story. Tell me that story. Like, I, I, it didn't need, like, all the extra Hollywood stuff on it because there already was a good story there to tell. Yeah, yeah. and there, and there's so much you could you could go back into his like history of where he was coming from before. And like, they kind of allude to it about him being an assistant coach and having a desire to be, to have this vision kind of come out. But like, it's just like, he, he comes off as a prick. You don't find out anything about like his backstory. He's just always kind of really stubborn. And it's like, why don't you just explore some of these characters backstories rather than just make, making up drama all the time so that we have some sort of like, interest in perhaps what they're doing or why they're doing it. Yeah. Their motivations. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, as I was watching, I was like, like, I don't care about anything because I mean, I already know that they win. So there's no like drama happening, but then it's also, they're not, there's nothing to the characters that I'm concerned about. Like there's nothing that I'm worried about. Well, so just on that, like, I feel like, and, and, and this is where, like, I actually did think it was supposed to be just a one series, one season limited series and they're done. Same. But well, I, especially I don't know, maybe, maybe it was that. And then, you know, with the possible plan that if it's popular enough, we'll do more. But I felt to me like maybe some of these characters will have more backstory in future seasons. So they're kind of saving some of that stuff. I mean, there's so many characters they can do something with it. I mean, like it's really misleading too, because it starts off with uh, magic uh, at the doctors finding out about the HIV. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. That's which which I thought it was going to be yeah, like a big, crazy. so it starts off with, that has a precedent, like his announcement after that too. Right. Yeah. Or he like, so it's like, it starts off with that. So I'm assuming that's the end point, or at least we're going to catch up to that. That's like nine seasons down the line. Like, <laughs> Wow. That is terrible. Point, yeah. And like, the other thing is that, I mean, they really built this out uh, um, to, 
to get that climax uh, with with the Celtics. Like that was a main piece, you know. Like there's, there was a whole episode around that game with the Celtics and going to Boston Garden and all this stuff. And like Zach, you watched uh, parts of the game, um, but like like this was like this season ends in 1980. Well, the the next season, um, the Lakers play the 76ers again. Like they don't actually play the Celtics until 1984. So if we're gonna do one season, like you know, this is a long road. So like season two is gonna have to cover like four years, um, you know, because the first time they play the Celtics, they lose, and then they win the second time, and then they play a couple more times. Like that could be like the the second half and the end of Magic's career probably could be the third season if there is one. But like they've got a lot to go before we get to that. Uh, something unless Adam McKay is like, you know what? Let's for drama's sake, let's make them uh, play the Celtics in 1981 finals. We'll just do that. That'll be the show. Could happen. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I just wanted to say like, I'm, I'm a little bit torn on the idea of like how much they're playing with, you know, the facts, because I, I do think, you know, like Greg, Frank, maybe like you guys maybe are a little bit closer to the material, and so you're going to notice things and that's going to bug you. And that's just a part of, you know, people adapting true stories. That's, that's a natural thing that happens. And I, I, I'm kind of like, you know, as you guys are revealing things that weren't accurate, I'm like thinking to myself, do I care about this? Do I care about that? And a lot of them, I don't know that I cared that much, but you know, then again, like Zach's saying, like, what's the point of telling a story that's based I mean, on I mean, I'm just, if it's completely different? Like, I'm just thinking, like, if I go on Jeopardy, I want to have, <laughs> I want to have some knowledge of these events <laughs> that I can bring with me into trivia games or Jeopardy or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know if it's real or not, like, because some of the stuff is just completely made up. Like, did yeah. it have? I have to like. I, I, I have to think it's it, this show is written so that people are going to write articles, these clickbait articles that are like, did this really happen? Like, it, because it's like, you know, I was looking up, did this really happen to Jack McKinney? And it's like five dozen articles that are saying, did this really happen to Jack McKinney in episode, in episode five or whatever? Jack McKinney gets it. Well, what happened? Jack McKinney. Then, you know, it goes into this long, like long ass story about Jack McKinney and has rise yeah. to becoming a Laker. It's, it's just there's like, a whole clickbait, clip, clickbait industry. They're trying to support here. <laughs> it's just like McKay has some back end on some like <laughs> company website or something, some sort of clickbait website. Yeah, like, I guess like, I don't know. One thing that seems like weird to me, that I think is a big kind of lie is like, I almost like I went into this and and with the way the season starts, it almost feels like the Lakers are huge underdogs and they're like not doing well. And then, you know, this and magic comes in and changes everything, but they were like a pretty good team before he arrived. Right. So that's, that's a little weird. I, I do think what, well, it's sort of like an, a story that's interesting that seems fairly accurate is just the growth of the NBA itself and like where the NBA itself was in 1979 and, and kind of struggling. And, and I think that's an interesting story that this series is telling is like how basketball kind of modernized itself and became, you know, a, a primetime event. Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, the one character we haven't talked about much is is uh, Genie Bus, 
Jamie. Who's, a, who's yeah. like a big part of the show and is still a big part of the Lakers. I'm pretty sure she runs the Lakers now. Uh, and there's like the biggest drama with her is when they're going to name a treasurer and you like, oh, I think it's going to be her. But then it's like, nope, we're going to give it to your brothers or like that's the even though it ends up going to someone else. And like, it's kind of effective, but Jeannie Buss, I think was 17 or 18 when all this was happening. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that. And like treasurer kind of needs to know accounting and stuff like that. Like, I feel like the show makes you think she should get the job, but I don't think it was ever a possibility. No. And like, and it, the possibility of going to his sons was also never a thing. Um, Cause I mean, they were clearly portrayed as buffoons, and it turns out they actually are buffoons. So that was that was pretty accurate. Uh, but, but sorry, just one more thing. I with think that, of, of all the characters that that in the show, like the I think the only well, maybe Pat Riley comes across as pretty good, but the only two characters that, and I'm assuming Adam McKay just has a lot of respect for these two people. But like Jeannie Bus comes across really well in the show. Uh, as does uh, Claire Rothman, who was portrayed by uh, Gabby Hoffman, which I didn't even realize it was her until shortly before we started um, recording when I, I pulled up uh, some notes on uh, on Wikipedia because she looks so different to me. Uh, but those two characters come across very well. And obviously because, you know, they were uh, pretty you know, uh, important to the growth of the Lakers through the, the 80s and through the 90s. Um, but... Uh, yeah, like, 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 like Chick Hearn, the broadcaster, he comes across like a dick. Like, um, like they, all the coaches come across like a dick. Jerry West comes across like a dick. Magic does. Like, you know, Kareem's like for half of this uh, series is like a surly bastard. Like, I mean, Larry, Larry Bird. I mean, they really portrayed. Larry Bird as a hick, like that scene yes. where he was watching the game at his yeah. house, and like his hillbilly family was there. <laughs> like that was crazy. Well, when they introduce him in the show halfway through the season, it's playing this song "Satan Is Real." Like that, like it's really setting this up to be like, wow, this guy's Satan in this show. He's the worst. Uh, but getting back to the Gabby Hoffman thing, I think the um, what the show should have done. And it's weird because she's done an amazing job in the whole show. Like the, unless I misinterpreted this, like I thought the drama in that moment was Jeannie Buss thought she should have got that job and it ends up going to uh, Claire Rothman. And if that was a promotion and something she would have wanted, it seems like completely obvious that it should have been her and the narrative should have been pushing the viewer to think she should be getting this job. I should never, 100%. I should never have been thinking this was Jeannie Buss's job to get. It should have been Claire Rothman's. Yeah. I was a little confused because that whole section, like Claire Rothman is pushing and saying Jeannie should do more, or get a promotion or something. Yeah, yeah. But if the job you're being led to believe she could have got is actually the one that Claire Rothman got. That, how does that make any sense? Yeah, when I, I guess when I heard treasure, like in terms of what Claire Rothman did, I thought like, Oh, this is kind of a, it wouldn't, it would be below her. I don't know why. Like just in terms of who, cause his, his mom was doing it before. Right. Basically. And like, it's like, okay, it feels like Claire's in terms of an org chart already higher, but I might've just been misunderstanding that. So like all that drama feels like it's completely misplaced. Well, yeah, the, uh, his, his mother, 
was the treasurer, but when uh, at the at the end of the show when VP Doctor Bus right? shows the contract, it says treasurer and I believe vice president mm-hmm. of operations. Yeah, I think so, yeah. so so yeah, I mean that feels appropriate. It just right. it made me question all the stuff I'd seen before, and then you know they never really. I don't know if they make Jeannie Buss out to be older than she actually was, but you know, it, to be 17 yeah. like that, that would also be like if someone made their daughter or son, like a huge position in a company when they were 17, like that would probably wouldn't go well over, o- go over well anywhere, no matter how they've proven themselves at a workplace. Yeah. Well, and, and so that whole thing, like those two characters in particular are obviously, you know, part of the show is showing sort of the changing gender roles, gender dynamics, whatever you want to say in, in, in going from the seventies to the eighties. And so it's trying to highlight that. Um, and that's where I think, you know, even like, like Zach, you mentioned earlier, like we don't even know that Jerry Buss has sons, but I think that the whole point of that is just that, you know, Jeannie's been involved. She, you know, clearly can have some, uh, you know, a bigger part of this, this organization. And, but yet the kind of gender stereotype is, well, why would I give it to a girl? Like, I'm going to give this to one of my sons who you, you've never met and who clearly are not don't care about this organization or not involved. I mean, I feel like they're trying to set up something for season two where it's going to be like, the brothers and the, and her genie kind of battling for control over it or something. Um, Cause I, I feel like there's no point in introducing those characters at that moment. Like I, and they didn't do anything. I don't even yeah. know what the purpose was. He took in them that. to a final game. And on top of that, maybe it's alluding to like, there was a lot of drama that I don't know all the details or remember all the uh-huh. details of with like, the brothers and Jeannie, like once Jerry Buss died and they handed off the the franchise, I think there was a lot of problems with who should take control of it at that point. Uh, if my memory serves me, Greg, does that sound about right to you? That is correct. And the brothers, well, Jim Buss did a horrendous job. Yeah. So I maybe it's a nod to that or something they're going to build up to in a season. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it just at raises questions. It's like, by the time you watch those last few episodes, like this doesn't even make sense. Like no one would make these decisions. And if it wasn't real, if it wasn't what really happened, it seems like a terrible choice to put in the show. Yeah. There's, there's just like, it's like a weird show in that there's just like information overload happening all the time, but it's like nothing ever really happens. It just adds so much depth to things. I'm just reading about Genie Bus right now, but I, I, but I guess they did have like some sort of like problem with the ownership, but that was like two decades later. Oh yeah, that's right? like, like way, way like, later. I'm also reading that uh, Genie Bus is in a relationship with uh, Jay Moore, comedian Jay Moore. Oh, future Mrs. Jay Moore should have yeah. flash that on the screen. Oh, in a in a relationship. <laughs> oh, also, uh, okay. and she was also uh, she was also in Pose Nude in Playboy in 1995. Oh, hmm? She was. Also in a relationship with Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson for yeah. a long time, and when he like that's that's like I thought they would allude to that somewhere or something, but uh, I'm glad they I, did. I'm glad they didn't, to be honest. It, it's just, and then some in terms of if we're going to talk about celebrity stuff and tying it in with like celebrity, that, which is a big part of the Lakers to some degree. The guy who played Jack Nicholson is 
like okay. the worst. <laughs> that, that was my that was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> I, it, I mean, out of all the millions of people who do Jack Nicholson impersonations, and like that's the best you could do. Well, I thought that I thought that part worked because it was so bad. Like it was like watching like a bad impersonator doing it. Yeah, and it it was so quick that it was like you just they, get like a I a thought, flash of it. I thought the Richard Pryor was pretty bad too. I, I like the Richard Pryor though. I mean, the the one thing about Genie Bus, I don't know if anyone noticed this because I I did look it up and found some clickbait on it. But the the <laughs> the actress is wearing a prosthetic nose. I didn't like notice her, that. Her nose stands out for a while, and I was like, "What is with this nose?" But it's a prosthetic, and I was like, "Why is she wearing a prosthetic nose?" Like, and I'm looking at Genie Bus, and I'm like, "Her nose isn't like." prominent or i don't know what like well that's just like okay that's the weird thing i disagree with something you said before like you were talking about how you like how it's like intentionally bad wigs and makeup i don't think it is i think that that's my problem with these shows i was i'm already sick of biopics like 10 years ago and now these shows are 10 hour biopics like like lazy biopic cliches of like it's more important that people look like who they're playing than actually do a good job of playing them. And I, I mean, I had a really good, like no, nobody looks like any, like anybody here. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think magic and Kareem, like they, they're pretty close to like early eighties. I don't think so. Not, like Pat go, Riley looks nothing. Like, yes, it does. <laughs> he just looks older. It's pretty close. If you slick back, like once they slick, but slick back Adrian Brody's hair, I think it's going to be pretty close. I think it's closer than you're, you're saying. I think they actually do a pretty good job of the likeness stuff. But uh, even Jerry Buss, I think is a pretty close likeness. I'm, I'm assuming they gave, like, does John C. Riley have blue eyes? Like, I, I kept looking at, like, something's off here, and I assume it's yeah, contacts. Yeah, I think he's wearing contact lenses or something. Okay, so, like, this adherence to looking as much as they can, like, people, even in Pammy and Tom, like, uh, the it, it, I actually call it Pammy and Tom genuinely now. It's not even, I used to force it, now it's just what I call that show in my brain. But, like, CGing abs and breasts and all like it's such a weird direction to go for these shows like it's so important that we're going to use special effects budget it's kind of gross to me I, I genuinely loathe it you know what like, the, the, the craziest uh, uh, representation of a famous person in in the show was was that brief clip of uh, Milton Berle at the at the NBA oh, yeah, awards yeah. banquet, and he told a joke. They cast a guy that like didn't even resemble him remotely, nor nor did he even do like like an actual impression. <laughs> like it was very odd. Yeah, uh, the oh the the one that is kind of close to me in terms of personality and performance was the young David Stern. I thought that was pretty good too. If you look at a little slimmer than young David Stern, but he kind of captured like he had dark hair and a mustache then I thought, and he kind of talked like David Stern. I thought he did a pretty good job. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you think about uh, at at the end where they kind of portrayed magic as stealing the, the MVP trophy? Yeah. So that's fake, right? Entirely. Pretty fake. I, I, I never heard that. That's not in the book either. So yeah, I looked it up. It said it's, they were going to give it to Kareem, but he wasn't there. And maybe a TV thing, they were pressured into giving it to Magic. But I don't think there was anything where they called Kareem and said, hey, you're getting it. Be ready on the phone. And then all of a sudden, nope, sorry. 
and, and it, the way it's told by David Stern, it's uh, not even like believable. It's just like, oh yeah, we just want to give it to you. I mean, I, I think they're trying to make David Stern look like the kind of forward thinking kind of, I don't yes. know, exec who's like co- concerned with trying to modernize MBA and is like, but like, I don't know. It Which was just like fair, the way he says David it is just Stern like, oh yeah, he's not here. We, he's, we're going to call him, but I don't know. You're here. So why don't we give it to you? And I was like, what? I don't know. The one thing I was going to say yeah. that was really weird to me was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. When they do a younger version of him, like they did a different actor for like someone like when he was like five years younger or something like they like the guy with out the beard and right yeah it looked completely hair. different yeah it was like i'm like is it just that you guys are so lazy that you don't want this guy to cut his hair you don't want the difficulty of having to film the same actor um with a shaved beard that you're just gonna get hire another actor even though you're virtually the same age at that point like it was just like really like this show is so lazy in so many ways like it's yeah, I, oh. I, my my the laziest thing that I hated the most in the show is uh, McKinney, Jack McKinney, when he's he's like starting to get it, and he's looking at his like his play card with the key, and he's drawing arrows, and all of a sudden the arrows start animating around his head, and then he's he's <laughs> he's floating off of his chair <laughs> like he's in this. It was so also that they can have a line later in the episode about like keeping your feet on the ground. I, I'm literally those two moments are there for that, and it is sad. Like he, okay, I would even. I would laugh at the arrows going around his head, like visualizing these plays, but then the added element of him being floating out of his chair is so <laughs> lame to me. I can't even believe how bad that is. Like what is with the reviews of this? Like that it's like 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm just like, I'm like the, when I watched the first episode, I was like, this is atrocious. Like what is, People do not want to criticize anything anymore. Everything is positive now. Like, it's like, yeah, it might not be the best show. Like, that's, I bet every review is like, you know, it's, there's flaws with the show, but overall it's watchable and not bad. Like that's every review now. There is no discerning taste or opinions from anyone anymore. Comedy is dead. 84 is pretty low for TV. (laughs) That's true. Comedy is dead. (laughs) Criticism is certainly dead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, journalism is dead. Um, and so basically all these journal like reviews are basically press releases that are re- yeah. rewritten press releases that are just like Adam McKay's wacky style is really on fire here. <laughs> like, it's just like, I mean, everything I've heard about the show is just like, oh yeah, they look a lot like those people. Oh yeah. They, it, I remember this. It's member berries. Everything in culture now is member berries from South Park. It's like, it's, I remember that. I know who that is. Oh, that's that who, that's who that is. Oh, I remember that. Oh yeah. I've heard of that person before. That's, that's all that matters. It's so sad that this is what we've come to. I I don't think that's what it is. I think it's like all these biopics. It's because they've completely run out of ideas and they're just, they just have to recycle stories. It's just like, HBO Max, it's because HBO you, Max is the worst at this because every single thing they put out is some shoddily put together documentary just on some event that happened. Like it could be Tiger any Woods. single thing in the world. And, and it's just like an event. It's like every every show, every 
streaming service now is just pumping out content. So they have to just find some real event. Like Apple is doing it with like the We Crash stuff. Like it's just like this content farm of just plain stories that maybe we heard something about, but we a little we kind of forgot about it. Zach, I, I agree, but I have to completely disagree with you that it's like we're out of ideas. That's why it's we a, have to do this. It's not. Pe- if you try to put new stuff out there, people won't watch it. It's because people, when they, they recognize something, for whatever reason, it draws them to it. I, I guess I get it to some degree. That, but That's always been what yeah, it's I mean, like. It's just like now it's just they have a content farm. They need it for this database. The streaming sites need constant content all the time. Like these, I watch all of these documentaries on HBO. I don't, I don't know <laughs> why. Them all. <laughs> now, now you know why they make the them. What's that? Now you know why they make them because everyone watches them. <laughs> <laughs> it's because everyone's talking about them. You have to find out about the story. Netflix perfected it, and then HBO Max has totally picked it up. They do nonstop garbage documentaries and docudramas that are about absolutely nothing. Don't need to be well, made. I don't know if you're picking on HBO Max specifically, like, or if you're talking HBO overall, because I still think HBO has the best stuff. Sure, but I think it's it's I think it's HBO Max. Like they're just it's Max because it's content. Like it's maximum content. Right. It's just <laughs> max produced, mass produced garbage. There, yeah, there's a lot of content that needs to be produced for sure. And no one but talks I, about these shows. I think the biopic <laughs> stuff though is it is a version of like a franchise or, you know, IP because it's, it's names that people recognize. And I think it also, it works nicely with this idea of prestige TV because you can attract big name actors who are like, Oh yeah, I'd love to play this well-known icon. And and somehow that just, you know, I can, maybe I'll win an Emmy for this. So (laughs) that's, that's part of it too, I think. But yeah, it's just, there's a lot of this and, and biopics I mean, on the movie side are pretty much dead. It's all gone to TV now. Like the cast on this show though, they have like. I disagree made- completely with the, it's dead from movies. It's alive and well in movies. Yeah. I guess Elvis. Elvis, King Richard, all, every musician is getting their own movie. <coughs> we just don't watch them. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Rocket Man. Uh, there's another one. I Oh, the, the sex, I guess the sex pistols one's a TV show. Uh, I just think more and more they're moving to TV now. Could be, but everything's moving to TV now, unless it's a Marvel movie. So, um, this is a, a show about basketball and, you know, Frank and I have watched lots of basketball and, uh, Sean and, Zach, I'm assuming you probably haven't watched a lot of NBA over the last few years. So the one thing we haven't really talked about is the actual basketball scenes in the show. Um, as as non-NBA watchers, uh, what did you guys think about uh, of, of, of the actual shooting of the basketball scenes? Getting rid of the fact that they were all faked <laughs> and the scores were yeah, fake I, and the results I, I were fake. I thought they were pretty good. Like, I... I like I remember thinking particularly like the first half of the series there wasn't a lot of it and I was thinking oh they're really avoiding having to shoot that stuff but I thought like the final episode in particular I thought that stuff was shot pretty well and uh it looked you know looked realistic looked like we, the actors were pulling off 
moves and uh and and i thought the editing was actually pretty solid for the most part well zach you watched a game right on youtube it feels that feels like a modern nba game in the show and that is not what old nba games looked like at all no i mean definitely be (laughs) i mean i i would definitely have to disagree with sean on how it looks good i mean first of all i have to say part of the problem is crave tv everything looks like garbage like the (laughs) streaming service we have in canada looks like trash so everything looks a little bit garbage but definitely not 4k no i mean it's maybe 720 i don't even know what is it (laughs) there is some (laughs) 4k uh, stuff on crave just want to say it What's that? There are there is 4K content on Crave if you have a 4K is, Apple yeah. TV. But um, for me, like the 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 basketball games, they looked kind of really terrible to me. Like the CGI in the background just looked really cheesy all the time. Especially when there, it kind of has this like roving camera that's going all around the court. I was just like, this looks so atrocious. It's like was well, it's like obviously they don't have the budget of Disney, so it looks like bad CGI versions of uh she hulk but it's like everything is going by so fast that you can't see anything and i agree like, they're covering up how bad it looks like i think they use the same stadium for every game they just kind of change some of the decorations it feels yeah. like a really small stadium it does not feel like an nba game at all uh the action they cut around constantly you barely even see oh like God. more than two seconds of a play uh i think and, the, and- i think the actual game footage and recreating nba basketball is awful like borderline awful for sure and and the the only thing they like okay you know i i grew up i did watch a lot of basketball i was a big lakers fan i was a big magic fan um you know i so i remember having the lakers starter uh pullover jacket nice nice um (laughs) had it all through grade school um so I like, but like, there's something about watching those games that are still kind of fascinating. The reason I looked it up on YouTube was because it's like, you know, while watching it, I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, I would really like to watch a game from the 80s and watch Magic Johnson playing. And in this show, the only thing they show of Magic is maybe like f- multiple times of him doing that kind of like bounce pass yeah. thing. They did it maybe six times in like one game and there's nothing else that they have to define this person as a player. There's nothing they have to like cream other than the sky hook. And like when you watch the game from the 80s, like this is not at all what they're like. Like Kareem was a really good shooter from anywhere. Like he did the sky hook, but like he had a lot of he wasn't just like didn't just stand under the net. Like the reason he's like the like considered one of the best is because he was an all around player, I think. Um, but they present it like in such a weird way that it's like, it's not even interesting. I have no idea why these people are considered greats. Like, like magic, like he, he really didn't do that much other than maybe just kind of do some, a couple passes here and there. But I do agree that his passes were always that same pass on, on a fast yeah. break. It was like a bit of a, a, a fake and then a bounce pass towards the basket. And, you know, just once in the show, I would like to, like, watch some action unfold or see a play, like, like kind of show the dynamics of the team with some basketball. And I'd forgive it if, like, the stadium is small or the crowd looks lame. I, I could live with that, but it doesn't even feel like a basketball show. And, and like, when Greg introed this portion, he said, this show is about basketball. And it reminded me of something I meant to bring up earlier on the show. 
you know, when I watch a show or a movie, it's pretty easy to extract themes for me, at least what I get out of it. I don't know what this show is about other than potentially drive and like wanting to win. Like, what is the theme of this show? Winning time. Time to win. I mean, there's a, I mean, it covers a lot of things, but obviously we've talked about racial and gender uh, things changing over yep. time. So 70s moving to the 80s is a big part of it. Well, it acknowledges those things. I think it, I don't know if it's necessarily about those. It, it, it's very surface. Like what I'm getting from it is what I'm interpreting from reading the history of this event. I mean, even like from what I've gleaned from, like I get more of that story from the documentary, They Call Me Magic or like The Last Dance where you kind of see this kind of transition from the old way of playing and it, it doesn't really capture that story that well because like I'm, you're piecing things together from maybe small elements, but those are never really spoken about really overtly. I think, I think it just has so much plot and so many characters that it never really tell. I, I do agree. There's, I have no idea what the, the story is about. Like I have no idea what the purpose of trying to tell the story is um, because it has nothing to say about, anything that really happens in here. Like, like I, I do think that there's like some interesting parts with like race with Kareem, but it, it's kind of really, it, it's, it's a little bit but deeper the race, than surface, but it's not that deep. Like, well, the idea uh, of like it being about that, it, that's why I said it's kind of acknowledged, especially in the first two episodes. I think it's really about that, that if that, if the show was about that, it yeah. would come up or like be part of the the final episode or the last feet, the arc at the end of the show. It, it's not really there at the end of the I show. The, I think the Larry Bird Magic Johnson rivalry is a big part of that. But they're just project. Sure. They established that in the first episode with the white and black text over people's faces because we didn't know that we couldn't we couldn't figure that out on our own. Well, and then, well, then and then by the end of the caricature. show, it's like you're. There is no drama in the show with that. It's Larry Bird watching at home or Magic Johnson imagining what that is. It's like, it's, it's yeah. really. But I think it's, it's not necessarily like, it's also like saying that, you know, Larry Bird won the rookie of the year vote by like a landslide and things like that. Like there's little that things for sure. like that throughout okay, that's the show. A good, that's a good one. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I mean the, the one, one moment that I thought was one of the best moments comes, I think it's maybe episode nine or 10 where Kareem and magic are talking and magic is talking about, he has a different perspective because he grew up going to playing around white people and he was performing around white people. Whereas Kareem has this kind of black community and black culture and is very much more political and has this kind of anger towards um, like uh kind of the the dominant society whereas magic is much more happy go lucky he's always kind of performing this very upbeat version of himself um and that's a that's a good moment but like i, I like they never tell that story about magic it's just like he says that line but like where's that story of him growing up like i i didn't see it at all i just saw him about his religious upbringing his parents etc and then everything else was about him just like having sex all the time or playing basketball and being happy. Like, like that's literally the, like I, I could not tell you a single thing about magic from this show 
And you could have told me that the this character was any basketball player and I would have believed it. Like you could have told me that was like Michael Cooper and I would have believed it or whoever. Like you could have told me that was Michael Jordan. Like I have no way. There's nothing to that story um, at all. Yeah, like I just uh, I I think that all of that is really why I just really didn't dis- uh, like the show very much. Um, um, other than I thought the acting performances were pretty good um, for the most part. Um, I agree. I, I yeah. thought uh, I thought one of the I thought Norm Nixon, uh, whose actual son Devon Nixon played him in the oh, show. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. continuing this trend of. Of people playing their parents in, in in movies, like the yeah, he was the good. one the one kid from uh, straight out of Compton. Like he played, I it's that, yeah. that size cube son, right? Yeah. yeah so I, that was that's what I liked about the show. I thought the acting performances were good. Uh, I thought for the most part the casting was really good too. Um, but just like every, everything else about the show, um, it just. It didn't. It didn't grab me like I like I hoped it would. Um, although it, it, the show never dragged, I think mostly because uh, I just kept finding things that I didn't like about it, and uh, you know, it just oh, let's uh, one more thing to uh, to add to the list. Um, but uh, if you guys don't have anything else to say on the show, we want to jump into our uh, superlatives. If you're ready for that, do we um, give star I, I just want to say like some of the the cast is like insane who they have for like really small parts like yes like Jillian Jacobs is um Jerry West or Jerry West's wife like and she's in it for maybe five ten minutes tops throughout the whole thing like Pat, Pat Riley's wife she plays yeah Pat sorry Riley's Pat, wife. Pat Riley's yeah. wife um I think like Jerry West's wife is like Lola Kirk too like and I was like this is just like weird casting like the people that they have well like orlando jones plays uh elgin baylor for like 15 yeah. seconds on the phone yeah. uh which was pretty crazy uh michael chickless uh yeah. you know uh he was he's red arbach uh, at least he had a little bit more to do uh but yeah like the, a, a lot of good character actors with tiny 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 roles uh in the show uh but you know maybe he uh Maybe Adam McKay just called in a lot of favors, uh, but uh, or there could be plans to do more yeah. with those characters in future seasons, especially like uh, Jillian Jacobs, right? Like Pat Riley's going to be the head coach, and yeah, that's true. Any any uh, final words from you, Sean? No, I mean I thought it was like a pretty easy watch. It wasn't something that I was like constantly drawn back to. Like I gotta keep watching, but when I put an episode on, it flew by. Um, oh, oh yeah, one last thing, uh, Frank. Uh, you know, you you mentioned some of the heavy handedness, uh, but uh, there was also a bit of uh, what I would consider like pandering, um, and and it was all with the the Nike stuff. Oh yeah, um, yeah. which uh, like. I, I don't. I just. I. I don't understand. Like, you know. I. I know that. Uh, you know. Magic passed on the on the on the Nike shoes, and he went with Converse and all that. Uh, but when he's signing the the deal, and it cuts back to the Nike rep sitting at the bar, going, "He's regretting it," yeah. <laughs> and it like, you know, it shows how much money Magic lost just by not signing with Nike. It is more that 
that shit. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe is it for basketball fans to be like, oh, that's right. He turned down Nike. I don't know. But uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just hate that trash. I think that ties into what Frank was talking about with Adam McKay's style, like where it's um, he just like always has this kind of elitist stance towards people or just kind of looks down on the characters a lot. Like it's like that moment was thrown in there just to be like, Oh, magic was so stupid. He didn't even understand like how, how he could have been like a billionaire from this. Or, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a lot of his style now is like, we, we're going to look at a historical moment and look at how dumb the people were that they couldn't, they didn't have foresight to understand what, what this could have been like, you yeah. know, the, like the, even the first episode, like the, pr- the original LA Lakers owner didn't understand the value of this. He didn't understand how this could have been like the biggest sport in, in the world, like a couple decades later. Like, it, it's just like this weird elitist style where everything is like very, like let's let's look at this moment and these people were so dumb they didn't they didn't even know like what they were doing like that seems to be his approach even with like don't look up or you know vice or the big short it's just like oh look this person understood it these guys were dumb like you know it's it's just i don't get it like i I don't get the uh, elitist attitude like i I don't feel like because you are elitist (laughs) i don't feel like he's looking down on these characters like if anything i feel like you know it's what frank was saying that it's just an easy pop culture reference to throw in for people to be like oh yeah with that that was a thing that happened but the nike thing i I completely agree uh, the the elitist thing is not for me doesn't come as elitism over the characters in the show it's elitism over everyone like the world is who he's judging and uh the characters just kind of are the vessels for that judgment about everything that's all star well said let's do it (laughs) the the one thing i was going to say is greg um you you brought up how will ferrell was originally cast yeah um i was i was just reading it but originally i guess uh adam mckay had um, originally had Michael Shannon in the role of uh, Jerry Buss. Right, that's true. And, yes, and then Michael Michael Sh- like Michael Shannon kind of backed out for creative differences, and then I think uh, then um, John C. Riley came in. But I was thinking like that's like a weird one too because like I, I I can see John C. Riley like he matches I think it well, but I cannot see uh, Michael Shannon in that role at all. I think it would have been better with Michael Shannon just going out on a limb. <laughs> I'm just looking at uh, Adam McKay's Twitter right now, and Uh-oh. he retweeted someone saying, uh, "Just ha- a face at morph of all Supreme Court justices since 1980, and it's Judge Valkanizer from Nothing But Trouble." So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we're oh god, <laughs> we're kindred spirits here. Probably not. Uh, okay. So, uh, superlatives. So, uh, favorite secondary character. Um, for me, it was, uh, it was a toss up between, uh, um, between, uh, Claire Rothman and, uh, and, and Pat Riley, but I decided to go with, I think, uh, Adrian Brody's portrayal of Pat Riley was, uh, was kind of my favorite secondary character. Um, I thought he was really good. Um, like the stuff that, uh, he was in like, uh, 
like him trying to cut the the weeds off of his uh, garage and ended up taking the garage oh, down. I, I enjoyed that scene very well. Like um, someone I just, would I destroy their whole was, garage because they can't cut a vine. Yeah, I'm just gonna tear <laughs> my whole fucking house apart because like it's absolutely ludicrous. I don't know. Maybe it happened. Who knows? It did not happen. But uh, but yeah, he was my favorite uh, secondary character. Uh, mine would. I don't. Is he secondary, Jerry West? I think so. I think so too. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many characters. And yeah. I, I mean, I in a way, th- they're feel all like the primary characters are Jerry Bus, Magic, and Kareem. I feel like the the three main ones. There's a, another level, but Jerry Jerry West for me, like it was my only comedy I got out of the show, like being so ridiculous that I was like, okay. And I actually think he, he looks a bit like Jerry West and the moments of him, like describing how much he hates losing and what he thinks about and what drives him. I I actually enjoyed the stuff with Jerry West. Well, I mean, I was, I was going to say for favorite secondary character, I was going to say Kareem. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he is. um... (laughs) Kareem Kareem would be my favorite character in the show by far. Okay. Um, I mean, I really liked him. I did like Pat Riley too. I thought Adrian Brody was good as him. I mean, he's kind of like, it was kind of hard to get into maybe at first, but I think by the end, I think I quite liked his character and he was the most enjoyable, like much more so than like uh, Paul Westhead, although they kind of have like similar amounts of screen time by the end. Like I think Paul Westhead really kind of comes off as really kind of one note throughout the whole thing. And, yeah, it's just like it's just like every scene is like him being really nervous or he, quoting Shakespeare and like and that's about like the only thing I think he ever did in the whole show. I mean, and that's like a large portion of the show for him. <laughs> well, he, he he did piss blood, and that's uh, that takes okay. real acting chops. <laughs> Uh, well, so I was trying to think which ca- secondary character I could pick would piss Frank off the most. I almost picked Tracy Letts as Jack McKinney, but he's opted not to. <laughs> almost picked Sean Patrick Small as Larry Bird, just because I think it's funny how trashy they made him. But ultimately, I, I'm going with Jason Clark as Jerry West. I know people think that, you know, this show doesn't portray him in a great light, but I, I agree with Frank. I thought he was kind of a nice bit of comic relief. And I think he also has the element of, he's just super obsessed with winning, doing everything it takes to win to the point where it's like, it ruins his personal life. Like, and he's kind of like got emotional problems. Like I kind of like that. All right, so if you were going to recast someone on the show, uh, who would that be? Uh, I actually, um, I would have liked to have seen uh, Will Ferrell's performance as Dr. Jerry Buss. I think that would have made the show even more insane than it, than it already is. And they might have actually turned it more into a, a comedy. I agree. Instead I of an actual dramatization. I think it might have matched the, where the show actually goes a bit more. Or where some of the performances go. I, I think that would be... I would love to see that, too. Uh, mine would be recasting Jack Nicholson with <laughs> literally anyone on the planet. Take anyone. I think that was, like, one of my favorite... That's one of my top five moments, is that... <laughs> I mean... Um, 
I, I, I didn't, I don't know if it's the actor or just the material, but I, I didn't really get into magic's character, the actor. I, I don't know. I would have recast him. I don't know um, who I would recast him with. Um, but I, I just kind of felt like there was a bit of like, I, I could have used a bit more depth um, there. Um, I also kind of like the idea of Michael Shannon, but I would, I would see him playing like, like Paul Westhead. I think that would be more interesting. Like, I think he could bring in something there. <laughs> well, I'm recasting John C. Riley as well. Uh, as, as you know, I, I just started looking at pictures of Jerry Buss and first thought was Rip Torn. Dead, <laughs> so that wouldn't work. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to, do you and mean then, Rip Taylor? Uh, what's that? Do you mean Rip Taylor? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, like Jerry Buss looks like Rip Taylor. Yeah, that would be good too. Taylor, who's Rip Taylor? You know who Rip Taylor is? <laughs> Rip Taylor would be really good. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Pick a Rip, I any have Rip. To change to Rip Taylor, but uh, he does the other look one a lot that, like Jerry Buss. <laughs> the other one that I thought looked like Jerry Buss, he's obviously way too old, but uh, Stacy Keach. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Um. All right, for for top five moments, uh, as I said, like uh, I didn't particularly enjoy this show too much, so this was I, a I, I tried to find five things that I just kind of reacted to, um, whether it was a, a laugh or or whatever. Uh, so my top five, my number five would be uh, uh, the the bad Jack Nicholson because <laughs> I had a I had a reaction to that. <laughs> Uh, number you stole four that for me, didn't you? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, number four was the uh, uh, the annoyed uh, Kareem telling the kid from Airplane to fuck off. Which I'm glad you brought that up because uh, when I read Kareem's article in the comments section, Zucker Abram Zucker commented with a, f- a full statement on saying like that did not happen. That uh, that is not what Kareem <laughs> is like. I'm not surprised. Um, uh, my number three would be uh, uh, Jack McKinney eating shit, going head over his handlebars on the bike. I thought, I thought the the filming of him flying over and then skidding along the pavement was actually pretty good. Um, it was a good skid. It was a long. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long skid. Uh, my number two would be the the marketing meeting where they introduced Slam Duck, and I'm <laughs> super disappointed that that did not become a real thing. <laughs> and. Uh, and actually, my, my my number one is actually my favorite scene in the entire show. It was the the conversation that uh, Kareem had with uh, Irvin Senior uh, when they were talking about uh, you know Magic being too happy all the time and and um, you know not being exposed to the same stuff that uh, that they were exposed to, um, and just like the the story that Irvin senior told about growing up in Mississippi and, you know, walking home, he saw a lot of strange fruit, uh, hanging from the trees. Uh, I thought that was actually a really good scene and, and good acting between the, those two. Um, and I think that was my favorite scene in the whole show. It, it was actually the, the one thing that, um, you know, brought some like real, uh, emotion out of me while watching it. For sure. Well, I mean, that's another, another moment where, they have no subtlety at all. Like they had to sh- flash a picture, right? Uh, yeah, of, of like 
those like deaths like they have like they're, they're they can't have any subtlety like they have to like slam every throw everything in your face like it's just i mean people know i mean should know yeah. what he's talking about right like so yeah. it was it was again heavy-handed and you know poor choices in filmmaking i guess but uh but i just i just thought that conversation between the two of them was really good uh my top five i guess mine are specifically moments some are but uh the opening title song i really liked it yeah that was one of mine too i enjoy it and i would watch the titles just for the song Uh, did you like it more or less than do you want to taste it uh more more i hated do you want to taste it uh number four the another writing thing i liked was the confetti i think it's episode two uh with a piece of confetti being stuck in someone's hair i think it's jerry west like giving a bit of a flashback to him and like following the confetti to the ground i thought that was uh and he talked a bit about winning and i i really like that moment focusing on the confetti i thought was interesting uh number three the four minute mile and perception versus you know mental mental barriers overcoming them and collectively how society does that uh, number two, just the casting in general, I thought was for the most part spot on and the performances were good overall. And number one, the everything to do with Kareem, the vote at the end, like him being the deciding vote, how that was handled, how he like kind of starts off as stubborn, but has like an arc within the show, an arc with throughout his life. Uh, I thought Kareem was done perfectly. Not, I don't know if it's accurate to him, but I thought, like, from a storytelling perspective, there was a lot to a lot of good stuff with Kareem. Um, I'll go next. Um, so I would say number five, I have uh, Phil Phil Knight's wig. Um, not the actor, didn't like the actor, but the wig, the use of the wig, <laughs> that, guy, that was so atrocious that did not resemble a real, like, was so overtly a wig that. It, I I thought it was enjoyable. Um, I didn't even notice number four. That. I put um, just the character of Spencer Haywood. I I thought that actor did a good job. I liked him quite a bit. Um, that was um, I Wood Harris from The Wire. I, I really yeah. liked him. I thought he did a good job. I thought I thought he was one one of the more interesting characters as well. Uh, number three, uh, the Richard Pryor moment. I, I thought that was one of the funnier moments. I actually laughed at during the the entire thing. Number two, the Jack Nicholson scene, which I've already <laughs> praised highly throughout the episode, <laughs> which was easily one of my like was one of the few times I laughed. I think I think the Jack Nicholson and Richard Pryor moments were the parts I laughed at the most. And then number one, I had a. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I, I put that episode, it's not really, um, but like his development as well. I thought the one episode where it kind of focuses on his back story a lot, I thought that was, uh, I, I really liked that one. Like I said, because it was the only one that actually went into someone's history to tell something about their character, which I don't think a single episode did other than maybe like uh, Jerry West, like hinting that his parents were like his father was abusive or something like that. But yeah, there's a bit um, with Pat Riley's dad too, like the the flashes in the mirror, but yeah, that, not a lot. 
Okay, mine are you know more general things than moments, but uh, number five, just the ensemble cast. I think you know a huge cast, and I think for the most part, a lot of them are very good, and um, you know just. I think you could keep building out this show for a long time and playing with a lot of those characters. And there's some good stuff there. Uh, number four, the history of the NBA stuff in this show. Like I just, you know, it's an era of the NBA. I'm not very familiar with and just kind of seeing it, you know, even if maybe the Lakers aren't underdogs, the NBA itself is kind of an underdog and that's kind of a cool sub story throughout the show. Uh, number three, the score slash soundtrack. I don't actually know, how much of it is score and how much of it is soundtrack, but I just, I generally liked a lot of the music, including the, the opening theme, as you guys mentioned. Uh, number two, the editing and cinematography. I think this <laughs> defines the show. I think they, they, they went aggressive on it. And I think, you know, it did turn me off initially, but I kind of got into it. And I think, I think it works for the most part. I think they're experimenting with stuff and I think it's pretty cool. Sean, are you just doing that to troll us right now? Are you just... It's how I feel. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Somebody had to defend <laughs> Mr. McKay, the auteur of our time. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, trying to, he's trying to do it for uh, retweets. and. <laughs> so what was and number one? Number one, the Magic and Kareem relationship. Just great dynamic. And uh, yeah, really liked both the actors. The uh, the opening theme was by a band called The Coop, and the song was called My Favorite Mutiny. Hmm. Very so, cool. Yeah, I think probably Boots, available on uh, Apple Music. I think Not Boots Riley. If you know Boots Riley was in The Coop, I, I didn't know about them before, but if you know that guy from he wrote and directed Story to Bother You, right? Um, cool. Yeah. I'll have to check him out. So, Sean, what would you? Uh, Rank uh, winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty out of five. I'm giving it a three and a half. <laughs> you guys Zach? are haters. Uh, <laughs> um, I probably gave it two. Um, I mean, I didn't hate it. I hated it to start, but then by the end, I was just ind- generally indifferent to it. Maybe it kind of won me over, or maybe I just became immune to it and was just plowing through it as quickly as I could. <laughs> But I, I mean, I, I, I can't say like it. It just washed over me. I can understand what Sean's talking about. I just, I agree. Just let it go. One hundred percent with Zach. It is a two out of five for me. Uh, I would also give it a two. I give it a one star for the casting and one star for the performances. So uh, two out of five for for winning time for me. So I don't know. Sean, you're the defender. So <laughs> be I, proud of that. If I got to do it, I got to do it. That's right. He's just um, writing the, that's definitely writing the critical wave here. That's true. It's, it's, you're right. It's all done for clicks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so uh, thanks for coming on to the show, guys. Uh, uh, Sean, where can people find you on social media? Uh, film junk on Twitter and film junk com linktree.com slash film junk whatever it is one of those <laughs> and you want to plug the uh, patreon while you're here sure patreon.com slash film junk you could be a, a a patreon hero if you uh that's right it's important stuff uh frank uh, where can people find you on social media 
You cannot. Uh, Zach, what about you? Uh, the best place to reach me is the Discord. That's where all, that's where I'm hanging out all the time, just lurking. Nice. Reading all the the sickos and what they write about. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so yeah, you can follow us here on Twitter uh, at TV Junk Podcast, uh, TV Junk Podcast at Gmail You can follow me, uh, the Gasman Lives. Uh, hell, follow Ball Junk Podcast on Twitter. Uh, follow Ball Junk Podcast on Instagram. It's uh, not about the podcast; it's just photos of the dog. And uh, that's just what I like to do. So uh, thanks for listening to the show, and uh, we'll see you for uh, episode five. You can watch Mr. Rogers. You can watch Three Company. And you can turn on fame or the newlywed game or the Adams Family. Say, you can watch Barney Miller. And you can watch your MTV. And you can watch till your eyes fall out of your head.